0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. I want to thank Dr. Reselman and the organizers of the meeting for inviting me out from Big Blue to out here to San Francisco. We're gonna change gears just a little bit and talk about non-healing wounds. Um, I have no disclosures for the presentation this morning. So I thought in terms of objectives for the presentation, I should really answer three questions. Uh, In order to establish what and deem a wound as non-healing, the first question might be what are expected healing rates in diabetic foot ulcers with standard of care? The second question we may ask is If we're not seeing that progress towards wound healing with standard of care, when would we consider moving to advanced modalities? Because they hopefully would accelerate wound healing and not put us in the position of a non-healing wound. However, at some point, there may, in fact, be the fork in the road. And what choices do we have for true non-healing wounds? So I'm going to take you down two paths. One would be surgical management, which in the appropriately selected patient may be a viable option. And then the other uh, path would be palliative wound care, which is becoming a more kind of common theme that we see within the wound care industry and arena. So I think, again, we have to uh, originally go back to the basics because healing a wound is clearly like putting up pieces of a puzzle together. So successful wound healing is clearly going to depend on comprehensive assessment. And each of these parts of our history and physical, while we could spend the entire time talking about these, they do have the answers to a lot of reasons to accelerate wound healing or, in fact, to see the progress towards healing. The questions that we ask are really important. And the findings that our uh, patients give us, again, will be the keys to success for healing those wounds. So after we've asked our questions and we've put our hands on the patient and we've done our assessment, then we have to move to the next level, which, again, is a comprehensive evaluation. We can kind of break this down into ancillary studies uh, from the laboratory, uh, all those blood values and things that we need to see to Predict whether or not wounds will heal, and other ancillary imaging such as plain film x rays, uh, skin perfusion pressures, vascular assessments, biopsies, tissue cultures. Again, all of these being key pieces of the puzzle to help us t- answer the question is this wound going to heal or is it not going to heal? Then we could break things down into a local wound evaluation, and some key tests that we might do include that probe-to-bone test, an assessment of moisture-wound balance issues to the peri-wound area, and then an evaluation comprehensively of what, how big is the wound, what structures are involved, how deep is the wound, and what's the quality of that tissue, all of these, again, being pieces of that puzzle. And then systemic evaluation, and we've heard a bit about in that first lecture, uh, talking about glycemic control and how that may affect outcomes, uh, hypertension management, and of course smoking cessation. So if we have answered the questions uh, in the history and physical, then we need to find out how good are we in healing these wounds with standard of care. Again, if we're going to label a wound non-healing, what is our expectation that when we do frequent debridements, when we evaluate these patients on a weekly basis, uh, how can we expect them to heal? So many of you may be familiar with this landmark work of Dave Margolis, uh, and what he did was he he tried to answer that question, how good are we at healing wounds with standard of care? So he took 10 control arms from randomized clinical trials that were studying something fancy in wound care, and he wasn't particularly interested in those. He said, I want to evaluate your control arm. So with doing frequent debridements, moist wound healing, and offloading, how good are we at healing these wounds? So this is a meta-analysis, and they had several of the trials that went out to a 12-week endpoint. And he determined that healing rates with standard of care were under 25%. So less than one in four of these wounds will heal at three months. And several of the trials went out for a five-month endpoint, and the healing rate went up about six or seven percent. So again, with standard of care, we see many of these wounds will, in fact, not heal. And there's likely a significant role for advanced wound healing in this patient population. So when would we move to advanced care? Because, again, the end result, we want that wound to heal. We don't want it to be non-healing. So for that, we looked to another landmark article, which would be Peter Sheehan's uh, data. And what he found was that the wound area change over a four-week period of time strongly predicts healing. So that four-week interval is important for us to evaluate the progress towards wound healing. And the statistics showed that about 53% healing rate at four weeks would predict healing in 12 weeks. So, again, that four-week benchmark is why a lot of our advanced wound modalities and technologies are paid for by our payers at this period of time. Uh, four weeks is a pivotal decision-making point to consider moving to advanced wound care. If you're not seeing that benchmark, most of us kind of say 50% in four weeks. Now, this is kind of a guideline. It's not an end-all, be-all, but it's certainly a rough uh, outline that we want to see that wound close in half by uh, one month, and that would predict healing in three months. The bar graph is probably a bit too small for you to see, but it's a reminder for me The actual numbers were different. The statistics show 53% healing in four weeks, but actually those that went on to heal in 12 weeks, the mean was 82% closure in four weeks. And those that did not heal, the mean closure was 25% over four weeks. So again, this is probably what you and I see a bit more in clinic, is that wounds are either on a trajectory towards healing or they're not, and they will struggle. So it's important to consider, I think, the science and the art of wound healing in prior to labeling a wound as non-healing. And these are some of the things that are not really modifiable in our patients. Many of them are not. But the science that we have to consider uh, when we look at a wound and when we evaluate a patient. So these things will clearly influence whether or not wounds will go on to heal. Some of them are happening at the basic science level, and we're getting better in our diagnostics and technology to evaluate these uh, considerations, but other things just in dealing with the wound and the, the integrity of the skin surrounding the wound may clearly influence uh, healing or non-healing. The art is a little bit more complicated, I think, and a challenge for most of us. Uh, these, many of these are modifiable, or we can look at them and consider uh, how to intervene so that we can better accelerate wound healing, but simple things like homelessness and the patient populations that have social challenges. uh, Those may be really significant influences as to why a wound may not heal. Other considerations like patient buy-in and how do they consider the seriousness of their condition. Previous experiences with the healthcare arena uh, and teams or your family and social support, all of these, again, will influence uh, whether or not a wound will go on to heal. So, again, we've dotted the I's, we've crossed the T's. That's a little bit of a setup for how we're going to approach that fork in the road. So once we know that we've done all of those things and we are considering going the right path, oftentimes the wounds do not progress the way that we want them to. So I'd like you to consider surgical management of these non-healing wounds in the appropriately selected patient population. And there's no literature to guide us as to when we should should consider that so we have four weeks of therapy with standard of care to move to advanced modalities I can't quote a study for you that says after 12 weeks of advanced wound care that we should move on to surgical management. I think this is something that you should consider. And the real problem that I have, and maybe you all do in your clinics as well, and we can equally extrapolate this talk, is not only healing that wound, but keeping that wound healed, right? Recidivism rates are are very high. So the literature will report that even patients who heal wounds and are placed in therapeutic shoes, we see re-ulceration rates and recidivism rates up to 100%. We haven't mitigated many of the risk factors, which the patients are predisposed to getting these wounds for by healing that wound. They still have neuropathy. They still have deformity. Maybe we've surgically intervened with a partial foot amputation, increasing that deformity. So a lot of times these deformities put patients at risk. So again, considering surgically... uh, approaching these patients may be a good option for them. I would also submit again that the general medical status is going to be a key in evaluating these patients as well as arterial perfusion as you've heard about over the past several days and rigid versus flexible deformities. There are many deformities of the foot that are just too rigid um, to offload appropriately. That clinical photo and radiograph oftentimes we induce further deformity so this patient has had several metatarsal heads resected for infection, the fourth and fifth metatarsal heads are still there, and this deformity places them at risk as a classic transfer lesion. So this patient is not likely to heal that wound or remain healed because of that significant deformity. So, we do have some classification systems for uh, managing surgery in this patient population, and we generally choose uh, surgeries that minimize uh, invasiveness and basically get the most uh, by doing the least. So, there are curative procedures, there are prophylactic procedures, and ablative procedures. And some of these, when you deal with an open wound, you would be dealing with curative procedures. So, again, a procedure done to eliminate the wound. Those would include debridements, wound closure devices that we have available to us, flaps and grafts, uh, as well as potentially some deformity management such as aquinas or ankle joint um, management. Sometimes surgical management includes amputation or debridements. Um, this is a patient of mine who has a Charcot rocker bottom foot, obviously has had a huge reconstruction, as you can see from the uh, significant hardware placed. This is the clinical photo, and I managed this patient for approximately four months. We got the wound to uh, come down in size, but ultimately it wouldn't heal. But this patient was really key and involved in the process and basically said to me, I don't think if this wound heals." it's going to stay healed. So what could we do? A simple planing procedure here, and about four weeks after the operation, the skin is much more intact and healthy and appropriate for then shoeing, and hopefully avoiding further ulceration. So there is some solid evidence-based medicine, and procedure-wise, and talking about uh, management of wounds. This uh, is some work that was done out of Canada, and they did simple clinic-based flexor tenotomies for wounds at the tip of the toe. This, again, is a patient of mine, and we did this procedure um, successfully. But this study evaluated 34 patients. Uh, some of the patients actually had wounds, and some were at risk for wounds. So this was a combination of curative and prophylactic. and they actually, interestingly, managed patients with osteomyelitis at the distal tip of the toe. They follow these patients a bit over a year, and they found that the ulcers without osteomyelitis healed within three weeks, and those with osteo healed in eight weeks. And they saw no uh, real long-term complications to essentially fixing the hammer toe and minimizing the risk of why the patient uh, had the wound in the first place. Hallux IPJ ulcerations are very common. Often the etiology would be a hallux limitus or arthritis at the first metatarsal phalangeal joint. This is a retrospective comparative uh, cohort study where essentially one provider in this clinic preferred surgical management of these IPJ ulcers. Another one preferred conservative wound healing management, and they retrospectively looked at those. So 20 patients underwent surgical management for these wounds, and 20 patients underwent conservative management. Admittedly, it's a short follow-up of only six months, but in my Michigan maze, you can see the numbers for the surgical patients were actually quite favorable, that they healed faster, there was less recurrence, the infection rates were about the same, and the amputation rate was slightly higher, but it's a small study. Very similar same authors did a study for fifth metatarsal head um, resections versus surgical ma- uh, versus conservative management of uh, sub fifth metatarsal head ulcerations twenty two com- uh, underwent surgical management versus eighteen patients who underwent conservative non operative management. The same kind of scenario plays out the wounds that underwent surgical management heal faster there was less recurrence infection rates are about the same, and in this study, the amputation rate was slightly. Uh, us lower. So again, surgical management in the appropriately selected patient may be a viable option. But what about that other fork in the road? I think um, many of us are using this analogy to educate our colleagues and our patients that diabetic foot ulcerations are like malignancies. We have the data about cancer, and a lot of us are preaching this in our clinics and on podiums like this, that amputation rates for people with Ulcerations are higher than many cancers. So I think if we have that analogy and we're using that, then we should start to get comfortable probably with the concept of palliative wound care, as they may do in cancer. So palliative wound care, chronic wound maintenance, or wound hospice would all be synonyms. There clearly has been a historical perspective of palliative care with end-of-life issues. Um, but And historically in wound care, we want to heal wounds. But there is this growing kind of... um, evidence that maybe we ought to evaluate and consider the patient's goals as well as the family and caregiver goals and provide them what they want and not necessarily what we think they want. So ultimately, palliative wound care would help communication between all members of the team, stabilize the wound, uh, minimize the risk of infection and further progression of that wound, uh, manage multiple issues that cause patients and families to really be challenged by these issues, and then ultimately provide quality of life. So these are the patients that I always ask the question, if that wound healed, would your life be different? Oftentimes, the answer is, unfortunately, no. They're not going to be more of a community ambulator. They're not going to necessarily get out um, with their family or relatives more, be more productive. So oftentimes, it may be a a better option to provide quality of life and be fiscally responsible for these patients that we don't have options for revascularization. We have tried several of the uh, more advanced modalities, and they are not proven to be successful. So in summary, again, a majority of wounds will not heal with standard of care. We have to know that. We have to know how long to manage these patients with standard of care. Advanced wound care seems to be a good option at four weeks when we're not seeing that progress towards wound healing that we want. Uh, Successful wound healing is clearly dependent upon comprehensive local and systemic assessment of these patients. Surgical management of these patients may be a consideration in the appropriately selected patient population, and oftentimes palliative wound care could be considered an acceptable alternative in many of these patients. So I wish it was as easy. This is called the Michigan lace up technique. We lace up our wounds and we just tie them up, and they can go out onto the track and, and run. Thank you for your attention. Uh, that was a wonderful summary Um, I think we have time for maybe one or two questions Um, I I use palliative wound care more than I like to admit usually uh, nursing home patients or patients that are bed-bound And to me, it's not so much an issue of, do I think it's going to change um, their functional status? I think it's an issue of, um, you know, if this progresses to an amputation, that ends up being a big thing. So what are you doing for palliative wound care to prevent uh, infectious complications months down the road? Yeah, I think that a lot of times you're dependent upon the caregivers, right? So oftentimes a lot of these patients do have community home care nursing. We're doing a lot of just wound maintenance. Again, um, dry gangrene, management with betadine, um, offloading, prevention of progression of the disease process, uh, and careful assessment on a routine basis. As long as there's a skilled set of eyes looking at these patients on a pretty regular basis, I'm fairly comfortable with that. I think the important part is also documenting in the chart what you're doing and why. Um, because oftentimes it seems like we're not providing advanced care to these patients when, in fact, we're just accomplishing a a different type goal. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.